Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Overwatch Now, your one-stop shop for all things happening in the modern world of competitive Overwatch. I am your host, Dylan the Dude, and joining me as always is my wonderful creative and colorful co-host, he is the Music Man. Hello everybody, how's it going? And by the way, Dylan, you forgot that we also covered the casual scenes too with all these patch notes happening. Oh yes, all of these patch notes, and we will go through these patch notes, Genji, that are very complex, intricate, and very, very much affecting every hero, Genji, in the entire game, Genji. Um, and we will get to that, of course, here starting soon. Uh, first off, a few house, uh, house cleaning notes. We have been away for a little bit. Um, we actually had to take down our coverage of the May Melee Tournament uh, last week due to some audio issues. So any of you that got to hear it before it was taken down, I'm sorry, <laughs> but for anyone that uh, got to hear it before a second down, you get our rare insight. So maybe we'll clean that up someday and re-release that. But honestly, it's that is not available at this current time. But what is available at this current time is the episode that you are listening to right now. Uh, before we continue as well, I'd like to give thanks to Dude Media for producing and uh, funding us here, uh, giving us this platform to uh, do Overwatch now, as well as plug Breaking the Lore, another uh, great show here uh, on Dude Media. And we'd like to also say that there, now that uh, a lot of uh, states here with the COVID-19 are starting to open back up, we might have some new podcasts coming along uh, here in the near future. So stay tuned for that as uh, many more people are getting into the swing of things and able to possibly get back to podcasting. So we're excited to see what that brings for Dude Media. And we're excited for this episode of Overwatch Now. Now... We've been on a couple of weeks break, like it's mentioned. The first week, really nothing happened. Like, the main melee tournament ha happened, and then afterwards, it was just silent for about a week. Last week, however, holy crap, did we get content. Yes, we did. And it's funny, because we we had this discussion last week. Uh, Music here was like, so, uh, uh, dude, do you want to, you know, record this week? I mean, we have a little bit of stuff to talk about. And I was like, no, 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 you know, I think we should wait a week. Because I have this unnatural feeling that we're going to have a lot more to talk about next week. Lo and behold, here we are. So, um, tons of trades, tons of patch notes, uh, tons of predictions, and our own updated power rankings that we are going to do here this week as well. So, uh, so where are we going to start? <laughs> um, patch notes, I guess? So, this week's patch notes, it's not anything to the... Well, I say this week, I mean last week, but... Regardless, the newest patch notes is not anything towards the live client itself. It's more on the experimental card that is currently on the live client of Overwatch. And there are a few changes. Some of them are probably for the better. Some of them are... And I don't know what to think of. And, and then there's Genji. And then there is Genji. So let's start with... Um, who should we start with? I'll let you decide, Music. What is the first uh, patch note uh, recipient that we are going to uh, look at? Because uh, well, there is, again, a bit of it that is worth looking at. Well, why don't we start with everybody's favorite Shimada brother, one of the key bearers of the dragons that's probably going to be the most impacted in this experimental note, Hanzo. All right, and about Hanzo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Hanzo... Only got a minor change. Well, I say minor, but I put it in like air quotes. You know, where his storm arrows, his E ability, or whatever ability Dylan uses on his controller, 
Um, the damage from that got buffed from 60 points of damage to 70 points of damage. And this is per arrow, so... I actually don't know what to think about that. No, this is actually huge. Um, I think this is actually probably one of the bigger uh, actual changes. I think um, I think this change actually might be as drastic for Hanzo as all of Genji's are for him. Because here's the thing. Hanzo's best usage right now, his best two usages, are sometimes in Brawl and as almost a staple in a lot of spam compositions. Being able to do an extra, uh, what is it, 60 damage with Storm Arrows, because, you know, all of them being put into a shield. That means uh, se uh, 7, 14, 21. That means 350 uh, damage, just straight up from one ability into shields. That shield is not going to survive. And with Echo, that shield is definitely not going to survive. So this buff might actually make uh, spam comps... I don't know if they'll make him any better or any worse, but it will definitely speed up those fights. Um, you are not going to have shields up for nearly as long as they would be before this uh, change. And I think I think that's great, and I think that's also kind of terrible, because um, it, really, it really changes the playstyle of what spam will be, what double shield will be. And unfortunately, I'm not sure yet if it's for the better or worse. Yeah, because... The thing, that, the thing that kind of is a little bit of a... I don't want to say jarring, but I don't know of a better word. Maybe disconnect, but anyways, it's like... Hanzo is the only projectile sniper in the game. So, the original intent of Hanzo is to utilize high ground, take off the angles, and pick off anybody that's behind the shield. And in a lot of cases with spam, shields are normally stationary, save Sigma, who can put it really anywhere but it stays there still so it's like i'm not sure if this is what's needed it definitely helps with putting pressures on the shields as long as you're not reinhardt shields because you know big shield, big shield lots of health pool 450 damage is not going to be enough to take down the shield or be effective for um echo's beam which we will get to in a moment so so it's just one of those where i think this kind of makes Hanzo more flexible in, in a sense between being that sniper character that gets picks from a distance to kind of like like you said being that spam DPS here hero that helps with shield pressure as well as being able to take take picks from many different angles in the spam composition so I guess we're we're just gonna have to wait and see to how this is going to affect Hanzo and really double shield in real in the live plan clients but so far it's like I don't see anything bad about it unless you're playing a shield tank if you're playing a shield tank then yeah this is all bad news well, but... look no nothing in these patch notes are ever good for tank players nothing in these patch notes are ever good for main tank players uh, as a main tank player myself I can attest to that although I guess one thing that might be a slight benefit to main tank players is the change to echo in these patch notes which is the focusing beam ability uh, getting its range reduced by 4 meters, from 20 meters to 16 meters. That, now, does, that does not change the effectiveness of the focusing beam, it just reduces the range. Right, and in case anybody is wondering how far is a meter, because I'm pretty sure most of our listeners here are in America land, where we use freedom units and not these metric units, but um, 
to give like a visual representation, here's what I want you the guys to do who are listening. Take one arm and extend it as far as you can. The shoulder from the arm that's not extended to the tip of your middle finger that is extended, that is roughly a meter. So that is quite some distance to go from 20 meters to 16. And in regards to Echo's focusing beam, uh, 16 meters is still a decent length. It still um, is a very good length uh, in the world of Overwatch. Uh, it's just not 20, because 20 is a little ridiculous. 20 is almost, I'm not going to say it's almost sniper levels of length, but or of uh, reach, but it is very far. And now, because of this, Echo needs to get in a little bit closer to uh, do her big... Uh, damage with the focusing beam uh, on shields or a tank. So that makes her put herself in a slightly more compromising position, which I think is good for the game in general. I don't think Echo should be too strong or else uh, the game becomes just a complete and total cluster mess. But Well, you say, you say that Echo shouldn't be too strong, but the only time where we've really been seeing a lot of Echo, even in competitive play, is... The Echo Tournament that happened a while ago, like almost a month ago, I'm, I want to say. And the first week that she's been introduced into OWL. Like, those two weekends are when we saw the most amount of Echo being played by, basically, the professional te no, teams. Since then, it's really been like a mix of a lot of DPSs, including DPS like Ash, like Hanzo. DPS that we haven't really seen in a while because before then... The meta was basically May McCree or McCree Widow or yeah, yeah. So, so um, I don't know if Echo's strong. Don't get me wrong. I don't know if I would say that she's broken yet, but this definitely helps uh, reduce that brokenness aspect of her. Well, and there's a reason why she's not broken, and that's because a lot of the heroes that counter her are in really good positions right now. Uh, the aforementioned Hanzo is definitely a character that's in a good position to take care of her. And one character that I think might also be uh, kind of an interesting position um, to really take care of Echo, or at least do something to uh, really mitigate Echo, and this is going to sound weird, but uh, our next patch, uh, patch E, if you will, Genji, has had a couple of buffs um, in this patch that I think makes him overall a lot stronger. And overall, I think, makes him a much better duelist against characters, even characters like Echo, uh, like Pharah, like Tracer. I think Genji is getting, to the, uh, is getting to the part of his lifespan where he's now possibly going to be the strongest he's ever been. Because, uh, let's just go through this, uh, everybody, ladies and gentlemen. His shuriken, so his primary and his secondary fire, have both gotten uh, pretty significant buffs. His damage from his... Uh, his regular uh, three-shot, his primary fire, which is where all three shurikens go together. The damage for that has been increased from 28 to 30 per shuriken. So that is uh, very, very strong. That is now a uh, max of, if all three hit, uh, 90 damage, which in a duel can certainly really win you against any other DPS um, if you can hit that and use manage your abilities right. The spread of his secondary fire, which is the one where it's uh, three at the same time, but kind of spread out a little bit, has been reduced from 12 to nine. So those will be a little bit more uh, kind of reined in, and uh, as such, more likely to kind of hit where you want it to go. 
Uh, both of those themselves make him an immediately better duelist character. But the biggest, but the biggest change in music, I think this is where you're going. What is his biggest change? Well, his biggest change is actually to his deflect. You know that one ability that basically is the it's the reverse card for Genji's kid. Kid, whatever damage go that goes at him with deflect, Genji is basically saying no you. No what happened you. there? What happened there is that the duration uh, of it, it got increased from one and a half seconds to two seconds, which, okay, that's a pretty significant buff, no buff there, but this is what makes it probably a near-busted ability and definitely a desired feature for all Genji one-tricks in the game of Overwatch. The deflect ability can now be cancelled manually. There are a lot of abilities that... When you activate them, you can manually cancel them. Genji has not had that since the launch of the game four years ago. So I think all of the Genji one tricks that refuse to swap off or even to try Doomfist, which is similar to Genji, but not really. Um, yeah, rejoice. You can now cancel an ability manually. And this is a, this is really good. This is really dangerous for, his, um, for anyone he's playing because now you can't really just reload or use the the uh, time that he's reflecting to you know plan your next abilities because the minute that he sees you doing it uh, you are getting dashed at you are getting uh, shurikened you are getting you know you're just getting attacked so Genji can now be a much more aggressive and much more effective duelist and with the already powerful combo of nanoblade and uh, um, in the game I think Genji might see a bit more play. I don't think he's going to see a majority play even just yet because he does have a lot of weaknesses that are easily shut down by things that are currently meta. But I do think this is going to put him in a much better position and make uh, Dive uh, a much more uh, more or less legitimate uh, composition in 2020. I mean, Dive is already a legitimate composition in 2020, but they're more like the variation type dies where we see Zen Brig or Anna Zen or no or even Zen Lucio. Those type of meta dives with Tracer Sombra, Sombra Echo, Tracer Echo, Widow Echo even even like we've been seeing a lot of variation. I think that this will like bring the OG Tracer Genji dive back to some degree. Not with Mercy Zen, because Mercy is not the same Mercy as she was three years ago. There you go. I don't think she's ever going back to that state. I hope she doesn't go back into that state because I like the current state of Overwatch. No, watch uh, hot take, but yeah, uh, but yeah, no. Genji will be seeing a lot of play in dive, maybe even in spam. Like the ability to control when you're saying no, you to you know, to a lot of um, the backline in spam com you know, compositions. That's going to be very, very handy for getting players. Absolutely, and. That is all for these patch notes in regards to what is actually uh, predicted to go through. Now, that leads us to a discussion of the last hero on this list that, um, Music, I'll let you kind of explain this in a little bit more detail. So, the last hero that we're going to go over is with Moira, and Moira's utility, I guess, has gotten a bit of a rework in the experimental her primary fire, the healing per second got increased from 65 to 70, and the secondary fire, the DPS, got reduced from 50 to 40. I think that this is to try to 
discourage DPS Moira's, which I do think is needed. Because I've been saying this so many times that it's kind of like becoming my catchphrase. With Moira, there definitely is a balancing act to her as far as when to heal and when to damage. Unfortunately, what I've been noticing is that a lot of Moira players either overheal and do nothing but heal, which depletes her resource on her healing, or become that DPS Moira that we all talk about and do little to no healing, which is also very bad. So if you're playing Moira, just know that there is a way to play her effectively as both a damage dealer and a healer, but your first priority should be to heal that to heal the team as much as you can. No, you can. And well, at the same time, we have we do have two healers, but still, you're probably the more flexible slash highest healer in the game in the game next to Anna and now now Baptiste. I no, I think like did they change anything to the last Baptiste patch I don't think so. But yeah, bottom line, your support as more. As Mora, your first priority should be to heal the team. So going DPS Mora, not the play. And I think this patch note is supposed to discourage that. Well, but it, and as you, but as we were alluding to, this uh, change uh, has been reported on by a character designer to not be going through. Um, is that correct? That no, that is correct. There, it, no, there is a. Um, I don't want to say it's a conversation because it really isn't a conversation, but. It's more than likely that this change is not going to go through. Uh, and I do want to say that my personal belief, now this does not reflect what Dylan believes, it does not reflect what Overwatch now believes, but, but my personal belief is that the biggest complainers that, that basically told the developers not to let this go through are the DPS Moira play, no, players, because they're only seeing the damage aspect of of Moira, which is the wrong take, take if you ask me. Not me. You're not supposed to see Moira as how much damage can you, you know, put into a fight. You're supposed, like I said, you're supposed to keep your teammates alive as a support player. So, my personal thing is that there does need to be some sort of way to not nerf DPS Moira to the ground, but make it so you get more value from healing as Moira from DPS because at this current moment in the live client you get I think you do get a little bit more value from DPSing than, than from healing which is why there are so many DPS more well, you know, I, I, I am going to actually very much disagree with you music uh, about this uh, conceptual Moira because let's look at the hard facts here this game has seven supports is that correct Seven. Mara, Anna, Baptiste, and Bra uh, Brave Mercy. Lucia. Lucia. So yeah. seven. Okay. So every one of those supports, um, and it's one of the best parts of Overwatch, is a drastically different. You do not have the same experience playing one hero as you do another. So that means that every character is judged uh, on their effectiveness and their usefulness by what they bring to the team what not only healing-wise they bring to the team, but what kind of utility they bring to the team. So, Anna has a ton of utility. You know, sleep dart to uh, peel slash prevent. You know, it's, it's a good form of CC. And uh, the biotic nade, which amps up the healing for your team and uh, negates the healing for the enemy team. Again, one of the most powerful abilities in the game, as well as an absurdly high healing output, the highest in the game. Um, 
then you have Baptiste, who has uh, a AoE heal uh, on cooldown. Uh, not only great healing with his uh, alternate fire, which, you know, heals the team, but also his primary fire that does a lot of damage or can put a lot of pressure on people, uh, as well as his mobility with his uh, booster jump. So he, he has a lot of healing and a lot of utility. Uh, Lucio, speed boost, something completely unique to him, uh, as well as AoE heals and uh, a great one of the best defensive ults in the game. Zen, completely based on that damage buff for the team. That is his biggest utility. Uh, the the Discord Orb makes or breaks certain compositions, and his ultimate also being another super strong uh, defensive alt, you know, gives him some great utility as well. Now, what I think you're you're noticing here is that I'm mentioning what every other character on the uh, in the support lineup can do outside of heal. Moira does not have that. Moira is designed very much as a very high-cost healer, you know, very big heals, very big brawly heals, um, which is why I think Moira does have a solid place in dive compositions if you choose to run her that way. But you don't see her that way, because uh, the utility from her is not nearly as important or as useful as anyone else in the game. Her utility, quote-unquote, is that DPS ability, is the damage that she can put out. The ability to uh, peel for herself, peel for the other support, peel for the DPS. Moira's is is arguably, uh, along with Brigitte, the battle support, the DPS support, because that's where that's what she's supposed to do. So to me, I think your assertion of DPS Moira's uh, being unhealthy to the game, I think that's only true to a extent. Because that is what Moira does. If you nerf Moira's damage output, then she does not have any real utility. And, and she just turns into a straight-up, one-to-one healer, who, even if you buff her healing significantly, does not beat Ana's healing. So you would never play Moira over Ana, in that case. Unless you, like, want to do something very cheeky that involves Fade and some other stuff, or, you know, something along those lines. So... To me, and again, this is my opinion, not music's, that I believe that Moira needs to have that perfect balance of being able to do a lot of damage and to ward off those flanking DPS, to ward off those characters that try to sneak into your back line that, uh, you know, uh, maybe take some damage out of the front line if they overextend. And also the damage orb being able to go through shields and be bounced around in a small confined area is also really massive. It adds damage that your team might not have otherwise. I think that that's absolutely fine. I just think that Moira cannot be allowed to be too powerful with the damage dealing, but I think where her damage dealing is right now is absolutely fine and it really fits in with her character and with her position in the support lineup of Overwatch. Now, granted... This is where I, music and I, I disagree do, a yeah. ton. And it's actually well, where I think a lot of people disagree, because uh, most of the people yeah. that... And I, music said most people that are complaining about these changes are DPS uh, Moiras. I disagree. I think the people who are uh, who are complaining about these... like or Who are complaining about Moira as she currently is are DPS players. Are just DPS players that don't want to have to hesitate. Um because the enemy team has uh, extra DPS. Well, 
Well, that's the other thing. It, it's like, I'm probably looking at Moira the same way that I'm looking at Hogwarts. Like, they can be really good in their positions as flex heroes in their roles. But at the same time, I've been, in my experience, I've seen people use them more for the DPS aspect than their other utility aspects. Like, yeah, with Roadhog, he can he can yoink people out of their out of their position, but primarily he has one of the uh, higher DPS outputs in the tank category. Same similar with Moira, where she can peel for herself really well and have one of the higher DPS outputs in the support category. However, as much as I'm complaining about DPS Moira's, I do want to offer a solu a solution to try to balance Moira out a little bit, and it has less to do with what Blizzard are deciding not to do with her primary and secondary fire, and more having to do with her orbs. At the moment, you can only use either the healing orb or the damage orb. My solution would be to rework that ability so you have two orbs to, cho no, to choose from and each of those separate orbs are on their own cooldown depending on which one you no, you use. Like, you, you activate the orb ability, you decide to throw heal first, okay, you can use the orb ability again to use damage while, you're, no, while your healing orb is either on the field or on its cooldown. I think that would be a decent change as far as the details of like how long the cooldown is or what the uh, healing or damage output should be for each of the orbs, which I think is fine if it's the uh, you know, same as it is now, now per orb. I do think that that would make a decent change to Moira. So, I mean, your your big argument is you just want to see Moira's heal more instead of uh, DPS more, which I think is a fair thing to wish, but at this point, Moira's healing is still very good. It is the third highest healing output in the game, um, if used correctly. But the fact that it's only the third, when that's basically half of her entire kit where it's not half of anyone else's kit that does it better than her i think that's a problem and i think moira actually needs some more love if you're going to really look at her as a character and as a part of team compositions going forward right which is why i'm not suggesting anything drastically to the statistics of moira and more of like a quality of life change change with how her abilities and her utilities are no, are being used. Moira, statistically speaking, on paper, is fine as she as she is. I don't think that anything statistically speaking needs to change. The play style and her utility aspect, however, I do think that that is the bigger issue for her kit, and I think that that's what Blizzard needs to uh, focus on more. But I think that's an entire episode of Overwatch now on its own. <laughs> we yeah. can go back and forth all we want. The fact of the matter is, they tried this change in the experimental card. It didn't get great feedback, so they're probably not going to bring it to the live. No live. No patch. Most likely, they're not going to bring it to the live. No live patch. But yeah, other than that, that's basically what we have for the experimental card this time around. Yeah, and you know, it's it's, it's a pretty interesting uh, experimental card. I think uh, those changes that do end up going in will be impactful. I'm just not sure if it's going to be meta changing yet. I mean, time will tell. I don't think any of this is going to be meta changing. Like right, right now, the meta is. I think the meta is the healthiest that it's been since uh, since Goat's Rift. No, really. Like I know that's another hot take on how 
people say that GOATS destroyed the game of Overwatch. But to me, it's like, I don't think GOATS destroyed the game of no, Overwatch. I think the fact that GOATS was the dominant meta for two years is what gave people the this taste for it. And since then, Blizzard has been trying to patch the game in a way so that the meta doesn't last for two years. Roll Q came in came in and that gave us the spam composition that now everybody's everybody's trying out then they patched that out a few months later to to have a, more of a balance between spam and brawl and now they're buffing a lot of the dive characters so that they have an impact so i think meta wise overwatch is at the healthiest it's ever been where you can really play whatever team composition you want and it can work out as long as certain requirements are are med and each of the metal each of the compositions do have requirements for them to be the most effective absolutely and i mean i think if there's any big change from this experimental patch that might change the meta a little bit it might be hanzo but that's even a big might i agree that i think the meta now is healthy um i just think it could be healthier for individual roles because i believe some roles are kind of being kind of locked into these uh, play styles and positions that they really don't want to be because of the strength of their hero, and I think that's more of a balancing of those particular roles than uh, the overall compositions in Overwatch. We get it. Do you want to play something other than Reinhardt or Ball? I, I, I want to play main tanks. I want to play the game of Overwatch uh, with main tanks. Is that too much to ask for? Um, well, Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> well, you know, it, it's also more to ask for for some of these teams, because next up here, uh, we have... <laughs> quite a few roster shakeups in the Overwatch League. And, and we're not just talking about shakeups between the players, we're also talking about staff, like head coaches, general managers, stuff like that. Like, we'll start off with one of the more obvious ones, I I guess, since the team, since the team has uh, had probably the most shakeups. So let's go with the Washington Ju Justice. So recently, Washington Justice has picked up both Janu and Stitch under a 14-day contract. They played their Overwatch League matches with like 200 ping, not ping, and I think they performed really well despite that. Now that, well, recently, Janu and Stitch got, got their contracts changed from a 14-day contract to a full-time contract with the Washington Justice, and both players are actually in the United States with the rest of the team, so. So yeah, it'll be very, very interesting to see those two play with 20 ping and the U.S. against other pro teams. And and that's as you'll as we'll see reflected in my power rankings later. I think that makes, um, in general, I think that really does make the Washington Justice a force to be reckoned with. I mean, they've gotten a lot of changes. They've gotten a lot of um, overall. Like it was a huge overhaul, uh, including and we're gonna mention this here. Uh, the team's uh, former off-tank uh, Swedish superstar, uh, Elevote, has also been released from his contract. So, Janu is going to be the sole uh, off-tank on the team. And, honestly, he kind of needs to be. He is a star-making off-tank, one of the best off-tanks in the league. Uh, him and Roar are going to be a phenomenal uh, tank duo, I believe. And I, I think these three swaps, these three uh, roster changes for the Washington Justice are going to do nothing but benefit them in the long run. 
Yeah, absolutely. E even, but, even the short term, I think they are very much going to benefit from it. But that's not the only change that the Washington Justice has go no, gone through, is it, Dylan? Uh, no, uh, they also lost uh, a couple of uh, players in their coaching staff and managing staff. Uh, Bonnie, formerly known as a support player for the Houston Outlaws, uh, has got been released as a coach for the Washington Justice. And uh, Baldwin, uh, the former general manager, has been released as well from his position. So that might also shake up a bit. I think the Washington Justice are aiming to go for a more full Korean roster and coaching staff, which is, you know, of course, why those uh, everyone who's been leaving has been leaving. You know, they've just the Justice are trying to move in a new direction. And I think they need to, as they haven't had a lot of success uh, up to this point. So these changes are just kind of organic with that mission statement of what they want to do as a full Korean team. And I definitely think that if they continue building with the, the roster and talent that they have been able to pick up, they are going to look like a much better team. Yep, but, you know, it's like, I'm looking forward to the Washington Justice, and I'm going to explain a little bit later when we actually get into our power rankings, which we will be seeing for the first time in Overwatch Now history, Dylan's complete 20-team power ranking list. No, Liz, that'll be a lot of fun to see. Yeah, but, um, it, yeah, it, it involves uh, any sh uh, any team that Sideshow is on at number 20, um, <laughs> which we, uh, of course, can go to now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so here's the story in case you guys have been missing it with Sideshow. So first he gets picked up by no, by the Florida Mayhem as a player for, for the team. Far one trick, we, baby. Yeah. Then we notice that he gets moved over to... I, I even forgot which team he got move, moved, over, moved the, over to, but it's like... The Gladiators is his current gladi home. Yes. To the Gladiators, but the thing is, is that we're all, at least Dylan and I, we're just sitting there like, Sideshow, what are you doing? Yeah, I was so confused. I was wondering if there was just a meme I missed out on, but I guess the meme is Sideshow. <laughs> oh, boy. It, it, Sideshow is one of those people that you just... No, you just love him, but you hate him a little well, no, bit at the no, same time. I mean, it, this is legitimate. They signed him to a 14-day contract, and to me, that is so weird that I don't know. They've done it for the gimmick. They've done it for the meme. Um, I am going to just say. They've done it for Divine. I, I do not expect us to see any sideshow on the Overwatch League stage, um, but I, I do think that is a fun little uh, thing that we've seen here. Although, speaking of the team he currently resides on, uh, he's certainly not going to be taking over the spot of uh, the person that they lost. Of course, I'm talking about uh, Paintbrush, who was the third support player on the uh, LA Gladiators. And when you're on the LA Gladiators, the one role that you're never going to see any change in is most certainly that support line, as they have arguably one of the strongest, if not the strongest support line in the Overwatch League. That being said, Paintbrush has now found his way over to the Dallas Fuel, who, if you really look at it, kind of had their weakest position being that support line. I mean, uh, you can argue that the tanks have uh, been struggling a lot. You can argue, you can't argue that the DPS have been uh, outstanding on the Dallas Fuel, but maybe Paintbrush is the missing piece of the puzzle that can kind of bring the, them together uh, as a full team and maybe get them into that top eight spot. I mean, for me, 
it's going to be difficult seeing the fuel without Crimson and Closer as the support duo. I think that both of those players as support are really what helped the team stand out. Now, as far as the tank lineup, I think the... I think the pressure has has fallen more on Gamsu performing than it has on uh, on Note, but at the same time, Note has been proven time and time again to be just a stellar off tank player. Gamsu is but it's kind of been hit or miss, so I actually wonder if if uh, Paintbrush replacing Closer in that case because I don't think Crimson is going anywhere, but um, I do wonder if Paintbrush do will help Gamsu like be that excellent main tank that every fuel fan wants him to, you know, to be. Granted, this is coming from an Outlaws fan, so yeah, I do want to see I do want to see fuel just perform better than what they have. Not saying that they perform bad, I just want them to be be better. But yeah, so interesting lineup that we have here. And, and of course, um, we didn't get to see a lot of Paintbrush um, on the Gladiators. He, he did play uh, one game, and that was unfortunately the game that they lost to one of the most embarrassing teams to lose to uh, in the Overwatch League, the Boston Uprising. But that's not on fault of Paintbrush in my mind. That is more on the fault of the entire team taking Boston too lightly. And I don't think you'll be able to take Boston that lightly um, going forward, as Punk has been a great addition to the team. We talked about him uh, last edition. But who we haven't talked about yet is actually uh, a... My homeboy Mikey! Let's yeah, go! A, a, a person uh, native to Music's homeland uh, over in uh, that state that he lives in. Uh, that will be Mikey, who has been signed to the Boston Uprising. And yeah. <laughs> it's his reason for being picked up, I, I don't believe, is that he's going to be starting. Uh, to me, I think Mikey was picked up because, because of the way that COVID-19 has been changing things. The Boston Uprising were not going to be able to get away with having such a small roster anymore. They do need a minimum of seven players, and actually, they I think should have eight. I think seven is like the actual very minimum, but they they really want to require eight. Uh, currently, it is seven active and one inactive player for the Boston Uprising, and I think that's why they picked up Mikey just to fit fill that quota. Uh, I don't think I don't think Fusions is going to be. Um, uh, taken out a lot for Mikey, but we might still see Mikey play a little bit. Um, I, I don't think they're going to never play him, but uh, it'll be interesting to definitely see what the Boston Uprising do do with uh, Mikey. Okay, first thing, one, you said do do. Second thing, yeah, 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 do do. Boston, <laughs> aka the other name for Boston. They're do do. Uh, but, but the second thing is that um, it's funny because when I first saw the announcement that Mikey got picked up, they said that he was from Connecticut, which is where I'm from, in case anybody was wondering. So I just retweeted that announcement with that meme that's like, from where? <laughs> but, no, but, but yeah, no, Mikey is a main tank player. I've been to a couple of his streams every now, now and then. He does have a good Orisa player, but I don't think it's going to be enough to take on fusions he is very flexible on the off tank position as well but i don't think it'll be enough to uh replace him for punk i do think that what boston needs is a kind of like a dedicated reinhardt play no player not a not a one trick you you never need one tricks. you want to be as flexible as you can especially in the pro leagues but they do need someone who kind of specializes in the 
Reinhardt role, no role as a brawl, as a brawler, or maybe even someone that is, I, I guess more flexible between dive and brawl, no brawl, so to speak. Because I don't think we've seen fusions a lot running dive with this game, have we? Uh, no. I mean, I think we've seen him play ball like once or twice. Um, I don't. I think we've seen him play Winston maybe once or twice. Uh, to me, they are very much a uh, spam oriented team at the moment due to his Arista special, uh, specialty. And we have seen them play Brawl because Fusions is a okay Reinhardt. Uh, he was much better when he was able to run it in Goats. But um, very much so, I think he's just in this position where it's a lot of pressure to be put on Fusions and I just don't think he has the time to really spread out to all four tanks that he'd like to put that time on. Um, so maybe he'll uh, he'll just be locked into two of them, and Mikey will be the other two. You know who knows. Um, and yeah. the uh, the season is still young here in uh, the Overwatch League. And yeah, so aside from Mikey, um, let's go over. Uh, I'm just gonna go over some very quick changes, ones that uh, I think are a little less important, um, as we have not seen them. So Zachary of the Dallas Fuel, DPS player extraordinaire from the Tier 2 scene last year, uh, has retired from professional Overwatch. Uh, he was never going to play on the Dallas Fuel um, over uh, Decay and Doha. So um, I, I, I do believe that this was a good choice for him. Uh, maybe we'll see him be a Valorant pro. Maybe we won't. Uh, we really don't know. Outside of that, his former partner in the Tier 2 scene uh, and on... Uh, I believe they were both uh, in consideration for Team USA a couple years back. Uh, Mangachu of the Toronto Defiant has been uh, now resignated to from a player to a player coach, which I think might be a better use of Mangachu's uh, abilities uh, since, again, he is on a star roster with... Well, not a star roster, but he's on a roster with some very good DPS players that you're not going to see a lot of him play. So what do you think of those two changes, uh, Zachary and Mangachu? Um... No longer, uh... Well, I don't know how much it'll change for you, Music, because you didn't see him anyway this year. Well, with Zachary, it's interesting, because Zachary is a DPS player, but I got first introduced to him during the GOATS meta, so I always saw as the... I always saw him as the team's dedicated break player. He's that... He's that pro that probably won't complain about break publicly, but... No, but still, we'll no, we'll take the time to actually learn Brave, be the best at Brave, then Brave for the Goats meta. So, but since then, it's like the meta's been changed ever since two 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 no two came out. Zachary, I don't think performed that to my recollection. I don't think he was that good as a DPS player. Could be because of all the goat scrims that he's been a part no, part of since joining Fuel. No, Fuel could be a variety of reasons. So seeing him retire, it's a little bit sad, but at the same time, I think it is what's best for Zachary. What he decides to do from here on out, I just wish him the best at. at. And Mangachu going from a player to a player coach, similar to Zachary, I always saw Mangachu as the Toronto's tour player, no player, but that's another story for another meta. So from him going. So for him going from player to player coach, I think that I think that he does bring a lot to the table, not as a player, but more of his 
experience and knowledge of the game and of being a Toronto player to the team. So I do think that that is a better use of his ta of his talent, similar to how Coolmatt went from being a player to a player coach after not seeing playtime for a long while because free and never at all because Mecco. <laughs> but but yeah, no. I think both of these decisions, if they're made by the players, then they're what's best for the players, and I do wish them well, no well moving forward. Now, a few other things that ha that happened is that um, as far as player retirees, we also don't no, don't see Bazi in the Hangzhou spot no spark lineup anymore. Yes, uh, Bazi and Yeah have both been players who. Uh... Formerly played on the uh, Hangzhou Spark, who are now retired or released, respectively. And Bazi is the one that really surprised me. I always thought Bazi was a very, very good player. But I guess just not getting uh, the results that uh, the team wanted. And I think maybe he was also a little bit tired of the uh, just Overwatch in general and needed to retire from the professional scene. Yeah, I never saw play, so I do not know how big of a... Uh, really how big his release is. I do think Hangzhou does need to work a little bit on their roster issues and needs to uh, figure out exactly what they're going to do from this point forward. Uh, but I do, I will miss seeing Bazi. I always thought he was a fun player to see on that squad. Yeah, I, I've had Bazi on my uh, fantasy team for a while because I thought he was a good player for, for Spark, but then things just started happening with the no spark and I don't even know what to think in anymore but like everybody else I do with everybody else that's either retired or released I do wish them the best move no moving on no moving on so whatever Bozzy and yeah decides to do during their downtime no time I just really hope that things go well for them but speaking of things going well for some players recently during the May melee we've actually had a debut of a new Vancouver player Shockwave who actually came in fresh from the Tier 2 scene. And you know, Shockwave is such a interesting uh, pickup for that uh, roster. I was, when I was doing my power rankings, Vancouver was in a very particular spot, and it was that pickup from Shockwave that made me solidify where they'd go. Um, Vancouver is a very interesting team right now, and I think Shockwave will be a very important part of the rebuilding process of that team, no doubt about it. But now, uh, going back a little bit, because we were talking about Mangachu's uh, demotion, or not demotion, but uh, transition, if you will, to being a player coach, uh, the most uh, changed team in the Overwatch League is probably going to end up being the Toronto Defiant right now, because uh, not only did they uh, have they recently picked up Cruz from the Paris Eternal, but they actually picked up two new players since uh, we last talked to you, and that is uh, the former main tank of the LA Valiant during season one. It, do you remember that? Nope. Numlocked, uh, a Reinhardt and Winston specialist who will be uh, returning to the Overwatch League main stage. Uh, probably, I'm not, I'm not sure if he's going to be playing over Beast as Beast has been really showing uh, his medal as a main tank player, but they have been having some issues. They haven't been able to lock in games the way that they'd like to, so maybe Numlocked will be able to add something to this team, uh, whether it be just experience from Season 1 up to now, or maybe just for a fresh personality. I think this is a very interesting pickup. 
as well as Zick, a DPS player who uh, previously known for playing on Third Impact, um, One Point, HSL Esports, now currently playing for the Toronto Defiant uh, as a on a, currently on a 14-day contract. We do not know if he's going to get picked up full time, but he is a very promising uh, young player, 19 years old. Uh, DPS uh, plays Hanzo, May, Tracer, and a few other uh, niche heroes. I do question this pickup because it seems like DPS is kind of where you're the most set on this Toronto roster. You have Agilities, you have uh, Kareev, you have sure Logics, you have Sure4. Uh, it just seems which, pretty... Which, by the way, which, by the way, Toronto, if you want to win more, just put in Logic and Sure4. It worked for you that one time. Do it. Yes, but their, her their heroes do overlap a lot, and it is um, it is very rough to try to run two uh, hitscan players together like that. But, you know, I do think they could succeed with that composition. Uh, I also don't think it's a bad move to put in Agilities, as he is, again... In my opinion, one of the most underrated projectile players in the history of the Overwatch League. So, you have so many great players on this team. You just gotta have it come together, Toronto. You need to start winning games, and I think with this roster, you have the potential to do it. So, we'll definitely, definitely see uh, some improvement from this team, or at least I hope so. Now, to anybody that watches any future Toronto games and wonder why they're no why they're uh, not performing as well as they are and want to complain to the general manager well you get, you're gonna need to find a different general manager because jay is retired from the toronto defiant he recently put out a statement basically saying that um he wasn't he wasn't um happy i guess not i guess with how the state of overwatch has changed and how the teams have evolved and he just couldn't keep up as a general manager my manager, so you know, to, to Ronald Defiant sent him a uh, a good fare, no, farewell. They're on good ter no, terms, as I hope a lot of these uh, release pe people are with the te no, teams, except for Crystal, because we know that he wasn't on good terms. But anyways, but um, but um, yeah. So let's just see what Toronto has to offer, has to offer at this point, because as of right now, they just picked up new play no players. They're down a general manager. Anything can happen, really. Yeah, and we are starting to get to the uh, kind of the wrap-up of these uh, roster changes. However, there is... Uh, let me see. Is there any ones that we've missed? Yes, there's actually the two biggest ones that we still have to go here. And you know what? I'm going to say the best it. for last. I'm going to say it. I think that the weirdest pickup here, and it's because I don't think they needed it, but it's not going to hurt them at all because it's also very incredible... Twilight, the former star support player of the former Vancouver Titans, of course, when they were with Runaway, or the Runaway roster, is now in the San Francisco Shock, which to me is going to be, I don't know how that, I would hate to be the manager of that team, because deciding who gets played on that roster must be an insane challenge. With all the talent that that San Francisco squad has, I, I don't know. I don't know how you could really determine, like, who plays on that roster. Like, what support players are going to play on that roster? Well, you think Twilight, because he's such a good player. But then they also have uh, Violet. They have so many great players on that team. It's almost kind of unfair that they keep picking up all these, all these, uh, all these great players that uh, other teams could use. But 
That's remind me. Does remind me? Does Twilight play main support or flex support? I believe main support. Oh, I that, I believe is, so. Because slime was if that because slime was flex. I'm pretty sure. Well, if if that's the case, then then we know that um, Violet is still going to stay in the game because Violet's the flex support of of the team. So it's really going to be a battle between Twilight and Moth. And Moth recently has just been performing like a champion main support from Team USA 2019. Like, I don't see a reason why Moth should be removed from, or why San Francisco should not play Moth. I think Moth is the glue that keeps San Francisco together. That being said, we have seen moments where support players from the same, uh, I guess, lineup. Uh, I guess the biggest example that I'm thinking of is with Rockus and Rappel. Both of them are flex supports, and we have seen playtime with both of them together. It's going to be that much more difficult when it comes to main supports, though. No, uh, though. Well, looking at uh, uh, analyzing all three of those players' uh, uh, support, like their hero pools. They all have the exact same hero pool, according to um, Liquipedia, and that's all of them. So, <laughs> at this point, um, I think Twilight might be the better Ana, uh, is what I'm kind of gathering from this, but that certainly doesn't mean Violet is any worse of an Ana. As how, uh, how, I think Violet is an incredible player all around, so I think you're going to see Moth in nonstop, but it's going to be very, very hard to see, between Violet and Twilight, who you are going to see in that position. Uh, heck, the only person who's a lock for this roster is playing 24-7 is Choi Hoban. And of course, when you are one of the top three uh, off-tanks in the world, I don't think you're going <laughs> to get dethroned from that. Um, but that being said, you can't get such an incredible player like Twilight without losing such an incredible player. And that incredible player that they have lost is Architect, who we did talk about. However, since then, he has instead joined another team. And uh, the team that Architect has joined, it might be one of the biggest picks that that team could have. And uh, actually, did we write that down? I don't think we did. I didn't know Architect joined did, another team. Yeah, didn't Architect get picked up? Unless I'm thinking someone else. He got, he got picked up by the Spark, but that was the Spark, last yeah. that I've... No, the Spark, that's what I was referring to. Uh, because... Honestly, with Bozzy retiring, Architect being on that squad, that is probably, that is going to make uh, the Spark a much stronger team. And I do think that Spark does need that added benefit of Ar Architect's experience. Because Architect is a top play you know, player in the Overwatch scene. He can bring a lot of great plays, great leadership, great callouts you know, even. Architect is just one of those players where it's like anything that has him is going to benefit tenfold from keeping him on the ro no, on the roster. Unfortunately for um, San Francisco, every player on that team is is a player that you'd want to keep on the roster. That's why they're one well, of the best teams, in, in and, my opinion. And even their former players that you uh, would think would be like instant starters, uh, we're not playing on this team. We're not starting on this team uh, after a while. And look at who they ended up getting rid of. I mean, when some of your, eh, we kind of have to lose these players because our team is so good, when that includes Nevix, when that includes Sleepy, when that includes Baby Bay, when that includes Dante, uh, Architect, those are all players 
that starts on any other roster. And the fact that you they were like, you are, eh, I guess we can do without these guys, is insane. That just speaks volumes to the power of your roster. And speaking of the power of the roster, uh, we have one more former runaway player who has found a new home, and that would be... Indeed. Go ahead. It'll be, it'll be Haxel uh, going from the free agency previously on the runaway roster version of Vancouver Titans. Moving on over to the New York XL, ironically, in Korea. You know, I, I, I do not know what I think about this because, to me, the New York Excelsior have the largest active roster in the Overwatch League. And they have a total, with this pickup of Haxel, they have five DPS players. All of them are good, but it's really going to be tough determining who plays when. I mean, we've seen a little bit of Who Are You. Uh, we've seen... A l uh, have we seen Nene at all this season? We, we've seen Nene more in the spammy style com composition. New York likes to play a more aggressive style. Nene style when it comes to both... No, when it comes to their lineup. So we haven't seen more Sabiolbi than we have Nene. But on the compositions or on the strategies that require New York to play tempo a little bit differently and a little bit slower... That's when they put in Nene. Otherwise, they have Sabiobi in like 24-7. I think as far as the projectile aspect of it, Who Are You, in my opinion, really was under no underperforming. Like, it's very difficult to justify putting Who Are You in over you know, Libero. And I don't think Libero's you know, hero pool even is enough to be able to, you know, to keep up with the likes of Nene, with the likes of Hotba and no, Mano and really any of the other players of the New York XL li no, lineup. So I do think that having Haxel on the team will no, will benefit more in that aggressive style that New York is comfortable play no, playing on, no, on. So I do see New York jumping up quite a bit. Not enough to take on the Shanghai Dragons, but that's another story that we'll get to when we do our power rankings. But still it will be a significant benefit for New York XL. See, I'm not sure about that. I mean, New York XL has had problems with their uh, their projectile DPS niche pickups. Um, a great example of this is being, what did Flower do? Flower really didn't get to do a lot when they picked him up. They kind of picked him up. He played a little bit here and there. But he really just rode the bench. He didn't really do too much in the grand scheme of things. And you also had the New York XL not make it to any, you know, they did not win any stage uh, playoffs or finals last year. Like, it was completely owned by the Vancouver Titans and the San Francisco Shock. Um, heck, even Pine you had a kind of love-hate relationship with. I know he's not a projectile player. But, and who are you underperforming? It's, I think this roster is going to stay a pretty consistent Sabiolbi Libero. I don't think you're going to see a lot... Maybe you'll see Hacksaw in instead uh, once or twice. Uh, but I do believe at this point, you're not going to see Sabiolbi out of the lineup. You're not going to see uh, Mono, Jonak, Animo, uh, or Hotba out of the lineup. Um, it's just, what DPS are you going to run? I cannot tell you because, I mean, I... I what I think is that they're just going to run the same roster lineup, and I don't think that there's a reason to pick up so many DPS players, but they could surprise us, and uh, these DPS players could completely outshine and finally get New York 
to a successful state, um, kind of like the Seoul Dynasty has tried to and has failed to uh, time and time again. Well, you might not be able to determine how well having Hacksaw in the lineup for New York will be, but you know what will help us determine that? The upcoming matches this weekend as we prepare for our summer showdown, I guess. I guess that's what they're, call they're calling it. Coming up later this month, I believe. No, I believe. I believe we're looking at the last weekend of June. Let me double check that so I'm not an idiot here behind the microphone. Even though I'm already that, what am I saying? But yeah, no. So this weekend starts up new matches for the Overwatch League, which will help people qualify for the you know, Summer Showdown happening in North America July 3rd through 5th and in Asia July 4th and 5th. And 5th. So similar to the main Melee, we do have another Showdown tournament style that is basically going to be the you know, the uh, same setup, same outcomes for you know, for the main Melee turn you know, tournament, only in the summer. No duh. So why don't we go over with this week's predictions as we start up our qualifier matches from the Overwatch League starting at 4 o'clock in the morning Eastern Daylight Savings Time on Saturday, June 13th, not Friday. We we're starting off with London Spitfire versus Shanghai Dragons. Now I know that I transitioned from New York, they're actually playing at 6, we'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> now, so, uh, let, uh, yeah, let's go over this game. Um, I think this is probably my easiest prediction. Shanghai uh, 3-0. Um, I, I do not believe Shanghai has a realistic shot of losing this. I, I believe London is not as good of a team as people are making them out to be. Uh, I think London has just gotten very fortunate with some hard DPS carry. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to straight up say it. Shanghai wins this easy. As easy as yeah. it can be. Uh, yeah... Like in the past episodes, we've had we did have moments where we were just agreeing with each other, no arguments, no notes, no any, no anything. This is another one of those moments. I just Shanghai too strong, London too weak. It's like I can make a joke about London should change their name from Spitfire to Spit Marshmallows, but yeah, I don't know if that's too harsh. Is it too harsh? Whatever. But yeah, no, 3-0 for Shanghai Dragons. Easy peasy. Moving on, we have what we've been talking about, actually. New York XL versus Seoul Dynasty at 6 a.m. following the London versus Shanghai. So about that uh, attempt from Seoul Dynasty. Uh, so Seoul Dynasty is, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to say that they are a, that they are bad players. Um, I've always been harsh on the Seoul Dynasty. I've always stuck to my guns thinking that their roster was not as strong as people believed it was their team play is not as good as people believe it is their coaching staff is also not nearly as good as people believe it is and i guess that's just the theme of the soul dynasty they are not as good as people think they are they did do better than i expected them to do in the melee tournament i will give them that and credit has to be given where credit is due but i do not believe that this team is going to really amount to much more than just the uh, one of the bottom two spots in this Apex region. So, uh, Apex region. So, yeah, I'm gonna say an easy 3-0 for New York as well. I do believe that they do have their own issues. New York does, but that they are uh, by and large a much better, much more coordinated, and much more complete team than the Soul Dynasty. 
I'm actually going to give Soul, you know, Soul Dynasty a little bit more of a benefit of a doubt. I'm still thinking that New York is going to, you know, win this. But there's one thing that I forgot to mention for going into this segment of the podcast. And that's the Hero Band. So we do have Hero Bands going into this week. And the Band Heroes, at least for Owl, that, that's another thing. Um, competitive no, play, no more Hero Bands. They decide to just do away with Hero Bands for the competitive la- no ladder, which how that will impact the game is yet to be determined, but we can talk about that afterwards. But for Owl, the Owl teams are not going to be allowed to play Sombra, Echo, Diva, or Brigitte. So, you know, so that basically leaves Dive just out of the question. Like, you can't really run an effective Dive with, well, without Diva. Diva's the primary uh, character in a di- in an effective Dive composition. You can make do without Echo or or Sombra, but still, without that Diva, I don't think we'll be seeing a lot of Dive. Granted, New York is a stellar brawl team. The brawl team as well. Dive is not the only composition that they play. However, we've seen Soul at their strongest in the spam composition, no composition with no, je- no Jester, right? I'm not thinking of another main tank that starts with G. Mm, I don't think so. Okay, so with Jester on Arisa and Marvel on on the Sigma, that's the strongest that they've ever been, really, as a tank, as a tank duo. No, duo. Just those those two running the spam composition. That's actually what got them into the finals of the main the melee tournament. Until they threw and got reverse swept from Shanghai. <laughs> Running so, almost exclusively dive, which is pretty funny if you think about it. Yeah, so so that being said, I think that this is going to be one of those moments where Soul will be at their strongest now that Spam is probably going to be the stronger composition this week. But at the same time, New York Excel with their additions and their lineups, I just... I just don't see them losing at all. So I'm actually going to give this a 3-1 victory for the New York XL, not a full, not full 3-0 sweep. Uh, I'm going to give them a 3-0 sweep because, again, I have so little faith in Soul Dynasty and only slightly more in New York XL. But I do think New York XL does have the track record and the team synergy to prove it, whereas Soul just does not at this point. However... I am going to have to say to everybody, for our next game here, happening at 3 p.m. on Saturday, I have to say that the the honeymoon is over, everybody. Uh, I am going to say that we are going to have another 3-0 in the way of the Paris Eternal, uh, wiping out the Boston Uprising in a 3-0 uh, matchup for two very important reasons. And that is, one, uh, XE is rumored to be returning from his neck injury back to the team. So if he's feeling good enough, he will probably be starting uh, possibly over soon. But even if not, soon is still a great player. So the DPS line will be stronger in Paris uh, this week regardless. Because the second change is the highly touted, highly anticipated projectile uh, genius, the projectile uh, prodigy, Sparkle is finally eligible to play in the Overwatch League this week. So, I do not see much uh, going well in the way for Boston Uprising with that. Uh, Paris has been a top 5, top 6 team already. Boston has been a bottom 3, bottom, really bottom 2, bottom 3 at best. 
I do not see this going any other way. Although, then again, I also doubted them when they went up against uh, the Gladiators. Although the Gladiators have been a more hot-cold team than the Paris Eternals. So, this is going to be a little bit of a weirder matchup for me to say a 3-0 on, as Boston has been showing a lot of promise lately. I am still going to stick to my guns. A 3-0 for the Paris Eternal. Uh, like... Like, Boston really performed against, against the Gladiators, so just by that alone, I do think that the addition of Punk, Punk was the right one for Boston. I, It's difficult for me to defend them, because I do think that Boston is doing better now with their new lineup, and we've yet to see Mikey play, uh, play on the team, so we really don't know if his main tank prowess would, would also, like, shift just a few things over to the Boston's Uprising's favor. Because one thing about Mikey is that apparently, recently, he's topped the tank leaderboards in three different spots. Like, out of the top three tank players in the NA servers, Mikey holds three of them. So, uh, so I really don't know what to say. I do want to give Boston the benefit of the doubt. It's not enough to, uh, to say that Boston is going to upset Paris the this time around because like you said the the uh, projectile DPS prodigy is going to be making his debut uh, on the Paris Eternal and Xe might be returning to uh, to the lineup after, from his next injuries but even if Xe doesn't they still have soon so it's really difficult to make a case for Boston to win so instead I'm going to give this a 3-1 in favor of Paris I really want to give Boston the benefit of the doubt it's just difficult to justify that more than a 3-1 victory for the opponents. So, uh, I really want Boston to perform well. Please, Boston, prove me wrong! Get more than one map win! And I mean, again, Boston is on an upturn, on an upswing. I just don't believe it's enough in this uh, situation to prevail. Although, if I do say so... I think this next matchup could be a lot more interesting than I think we would have given it credit for uh, a few months ago. At 5 p.m. on Saturday, we have the runner-ups of the May Melee Tournament, the Florida Mayhem, going one-on-one -on -one with the, or six-on-six, uh, six, if you will, with the Dallas Fuel. Now, this is going to be interesting because we have the debut, or most likely debut, of Paintbrush for the Dallas Fuel. But we also still have the consistent, uh, like consistently amazing play from the Florida Mayhem. So this one is going to be tough. I've heard a lot of people saying that Dallas is looking like they could be a top eight team now, that they could make a real legitimate push for playoffs. I'm not quite seeing that yet, though I do have a lot of faith in that team. And in the same vein, people are saying that Florida Mayhem are easily a top three, top four team. And I can see where they're coming from, but I also disagree with that. So I am going to personally say that this is going to be a 3-2 for the Florida Mayhem over the Dallas Fuel. But I'm not as confident. Um, not nearly as confident as I was with any of my other picks so far. I agree on the scoreline. I am more confident in saying that um, it will be a 3-2 for the Florida Mayhem. I also would like to see a draw happen on this map, on this uh, ma matchup. I do believe that both of these teams have what it takes to go toe to toe with each other. No, with each other, no holds back. Granted, 
Florida being the runner-ups for the Melee Tournament and Dallas getting effectively knocked out very early on in the tournament. There is an argument to be made that Florida is going to take this win. I don't think Dallas is going to go down without a fight. So, like you said, 3-2 in favor of Florida. But I do think that it's going to be a close 3-2. Like, basically what I'm expecting is a map 5, round 3, 99-99. That close. All the way. That is, the way. That is entirely possible. Um, however... I also think that is an entirely possible scoreline for our next matchup here at 7 p.m. on Saturday, June 13th. We have the Atlanta Reign going uh, against the Los Angeles Gladiators. And both teams have had a little bit of struggle uh, coming in through the May Melee Tournament. They both still did uh, very respectable uh, despite, you know, getting kind of crushed. I believe they were both uh, pretty much rolled or dominated in their... Uh, final matchups in the tournament. But I think both these teams are definitely great top eight teams. Uh, most notably, I'd like to say that the Atlanta Reign has uh, probably one of the best spam uh, rosters in the league with uh, the incredible DPS they have, as well as Gator being a star Orissa for the team. I would have to say that I think this is going to go uh, either... Th I think it's going to go 3-2... If I had to say where it was going 3-2, I'd say it's probably going to end up going to go 3-2 in the way of the Atlanta Reign. I think Atlanta Reign is more powerful than, than that as a team. team. Like, this is no way going to be a, a sweep. Like, both of these teams are just too good. I, but I also don't see it as a 3-2 for Atlanta. No, for Atlanta, I see it more as a 3-1 for Atlanta. Because this is going to be another one of those close matches matchups where the final score really doesn't determine or doesn't say the story of the match and I think that's going to be one of those cases I think this could go either way but I do think that Atlanta does have the edge more often than not so I'm giving it a 3-1 to Atlanta but that being said gladiators like the Dallas Fuel are not going to go down without a fight they are I think they are going to play at their best with their best line lineup and it's going to prove results more often than not but it's but Atlanta is just going to get the final blows I guess for lack of a better term but moving on but moving on we don't have any Sunday morning ma uh, matches so the Asian region is only going to do, uh, do the Saturday for this week but so for Sunday our first match is actually going to be at 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time with Philadelphia Fusions 3 0 Houston Outlaws. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was going to try to make a, an argument that uh, Houston could do a little bit better here. Um, unless Muma gets back into the shape of things with the... Uh, uh, found out he had a wrist injury is what the ongoing rumor is, and it's why he was playing uh, very, very poorly in the last uh, few games that he played. Uh, I think hydration is a good temporary solution. Uh, I think he can fill in in some of these games, but I think this one's just too far. Even even with their healthiest main tank and their most practiced lineup, this would have been a very, very hard matchup to even get a map win out of. So, yeah, Philadelphia Fusion, congratulations. You have a, uh, a free 3-0 versus the Houston Outlaws. Which kind of sucks for me to say because by now everybody knows that I'm a big Houston Outlaws fans, and I actually enjoy seeing Hydration playing the main tank. No tank, well, it 
again, with how strong Philadelphia is just as a team in general, I can't even justify Houston getting a round out, out of the fusion. Like, it's very rough. It's going to be a very rough uh, game for the Houston. Unless they really surprise us. They just turn up and they start carrying off of the backs of their hard carries. This could be a very, very fun game if Houston can bring it, but I, I don't know. I don't believe they will be able to bring it in this case. The only way that I can see Houston winning even a singular map, and this is very much a long shot. Like, I'm talking about from here to Neptune. Long shot. No, no, no long shot. Um, they need to be... Okay, so Houston performs their best when they're their most creative. When it comes to compositions, when it comes to strategies. As long as Houston is able to show show off their creativity and their natural talent at their hero, you know, hero pools. Like, for example, have Dante just... Or enable Dante to just pop off as Echo while simultaneously let Blase do whatever he wants as Doom, as Doomfizz. And Muma making space on the ball, no, on the ball by knocking everybody up and giving Mecco like good enough places to drop his bo his bombs with, no, with basically stuff like that. Like as long as Houston are allowed to be creative and are enabled to be creative, then then that that's when they win fights. That's when they even win maps, and in some cases win series. No, win series. But the problem is, is that I think Philadelphia will see right past that and play the meta, which is what they're most practiced at, which is what they're best at, and from there just completely dominate Houston. Like, Houston can be as creative as they want. What works is the meta. Again, so, when the only team to have... Wait, when you're a team that only has one loss in the regular season, that is insane at this point. You have one loss in the regular season, and it was a... 3-2 <laughs> like loss like it was not a definitive loss by any means so when you're 13-1 and one, I think that might show that you are a little bit better of a team than a team that's currently 5-9 and nine. yeah but enough about that we all know that Philadelphia is going to 3-0 Houston what's going to be more interesting of a match in my opinion is the next one at 5pm which is Vancouver Titans versus Toronto Defiant. Toronto with their little bit of a shakeup. Vancouver with arguably a brand new roster still granted. They've had had a month to practice and work out the kinks. So I do think that Vancouver is going to come into this looking probably the strongest that they've been since season two, two with the runaway roster. So I'm seeing this as a 3-2 in favor of Vancouver. Like, uh, oh, 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 that's interesting. That is, that is like, quite hear, the hear prediction. Me, hear me out, hear me out. In the main, main, ter in the, in the main melee ter in the tournament, one of the bigger changes that Vancouver's went through was with the addition of Shockwave, who turned out working miracles for the team. It wasn't enough to take on, you know, to take on Toronto then, but at the same time, they were still a brand new team. Shockwave had only just joined the team that week, and now that we've had a few weeks of Overwatch League practice, I do think that they know what, no, they being Vancouver, I do think that they know what they need to do, what their best strategies are. 
And I do think that they can get their revenge against Toronto, who, again, is having all these shakeups that it's kind of unclear on how, you know, on where they're going to go moving forward, as well as who they're going to play. Because recently, even against some of the more mid-level teams, Agilities and Logics have been struggling as a duo. And I don't think it's any fault uh, of them. I don't think it's any fault of the of the staff or anything. I I just think that something was happening with Toronto that just something's not meshing with the, the team. And here's the thing, and here's where I'm going to be hard disagreeing with you uh, here on this, like here on this in particular. So the Toronto Defiance. They are a team that has been struggling a lot lately. They did lose in the May Melee Tournament 0-3 uh, against Atlanta, which I don't think was unexpected. But Toronto's new pickups and core lineup has the experience factor over the Vancouver Titans. I do believe this is not going to be as much of a role as maybe it could be. But I, I, I do believe that Toronto is going to have the advantage, based almost entirely off of uh, coaching staff and experience at this point. Um, I'm going to say it's a 3-2 victory for Toronto. Uh, I don't think it'll mean that Vancouver is going to stay below Toronto uh, for very long. But, you know, I just can't see Vancouver just taking it to that level just yet. I mean, again, I'm a very optimistic person when it comes to some of the underdog teams like Vancouver, like Houston, like... What's another one? The Washington Justice that is going to be coming up up next. So I could be like, I could be optimistic to the point of being delusional with the Vancouver net lineup, but at the same time, I I actually think that this lineup for Vancouver shows a lot of potential. And now that they've had more time to practice together as a team, I think they're ready to show it off, and that's going to put up a fight against Toronto. But moving on, we have the last match of the week. With Los Angeles Valiant up against the Washington Justice. This is going to be, I, I wouldn't say it's the highlight ma map of the, or the highlight match of the you know, weekend. I think that would fall with uh, Florida versus Dallas. But this is still going to be an interesting match to watch since now Washington has Stitch and Janu as, as full-time members of the team and also on the same region as the rest of the team. So I do think that this will up the value of Vancouver, up the stonks of Vancouver. You mean uh, Washington. <laughs> Washington. Washington. You know, Washington, Vancouver, and Boston, as far as the NA regions, are still all like at the bottom of the bar barrel. So I, I don't know. No, I don't know. But um, yeah, I do think that Washington is going to put up a fight here now that they have all of their players basically together in one region uh, of the Overwatch League. And I hmm, I don't know what to call this, actually. Like, I think it's going to be a 3-1. But looking at the Valiant side, they still have pretty good players in, in McGravy, in Dreamer, really. And just, I really don't know what to think, except that this is going to be a 3-1. Ugh. The direction of which is, uh, where this is going to go is going to be the challenge here. Well, you see, I'm going to give a very straightforward answer to this matchup. And it's going to be uh, reflected in my power rankings. But this is an easy 3-0 for the Los Angeles Valiant. 
The Los Angeles Valiant are such a strong team right now. They have such a great lineup, a uh, an underscouted lineup, really. You can't really predict a lot of what this squad will do from week to week, and I think that's definitely a big plus for them. I think they've been firing and rolling on all cylinders, and because of that and the individual and team make, uh, work presence that we have seen in this squad, I think Los Val uh, the Los Angeles Valiant are one of the teams to watch out for, and I just think Washington is not going to have that experience yet. Washington is not going to have that roster, not going to have that uh, cohesion yet. So uh, e uh, I think this is going to be a definitive, not easy, but definitive 3-0 for the Los Angeles Valiant. I still maintain that it's going to be a 3-1. My struggle is that I want to give Washington the benefit of the doubt because Washington also has experienced players and and basically their entire line, their lineup, save for uh, tu you know, Tuba making his debut this season. But but it's like I understand where you're going with the you know, with the Valiant, which is what makes it that much more difficult to you know, to determine who is going to get the three one in my in my eyes. But even then, if I were to like give you know, give a prediction as to who's going to win. Uh, it's really difficult for me to justify Washington at the current moment. I want them to upset me, but I'm going to have to give it a 3-1 to Los Angeles. I don't think it's going to be a a sweep. I don't think that um, Washington is going to is going to um, win more than a map. Like, they're going to keep it close, but I don't think it's enough to win more than one, no one map. Hmm. You know, I don't even think it's going to go there. I think a 3-0 is what I'm expecting, but... You know, anything could happen, anything could change. We could have three O's from teams we didn't even expect as we've seen that happen in the Overwatch League. Really, anything can happen. Uh, yes. Although, now that we've completed our uh, predictions for this week, uh, am, am I on center stage music? Is this where I am, uh, yep. am going to be thrown to the wolves with my hot takes, my, my incredibly um, controversial... Uh, tier list, my uh, power rankings, if you will. Oh, I'm not going to throw you into the wolves. I'm going to throw you into the campfire. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, here we are with Dylan the Dude's power rankings for the Overwatch League as currently standing by June, uh, by the week of June 10th, 2020, week 19. And you know what? I'm just going to start with this here. The going from bottom to top. With a little bit of reasoning and a little bit of explanation for each one, number twenty is going to go to the Vancouver Titans. Now, I know with Shockwave they are looking like a stronger squad. Yes, they've had a little bit more time now together, but I do not believe it has been enough yet. Nor do I believe that the individual prowess of this team has made it evident to me that they deserve to be above the twenty spot. Maybe someday, but they are really, really struggling uh, at this point. So. Number 20, the Vancouver Titans. Following them up at number 19, we've just been talking about them for a little bit here. And, you know, despite the new additions that they had to their team, including uh, ones that music was very hyped for. Who am I kidding? Music wasn't hyped for them. The Toronto Defiant take the number 19 spot here. And despite all of the very much in the same way of the Boston Uprising, but almost from a different angle, this team has a lot of potential 
and they have a lot of experience in terms of individual player experience. They just need to find a way to tie it together. And I think if they do, you'll see them another five or six spots above where they are currently. But number 19 is seriously the best I can do for this team right now. Okay, I'm going to put a pause there because I need to say, if we were doing this podcast in a video format, you you would be able to see my reaction to what what you just said about putting Toronto in 19. Yeah, no, and trust me, you're going to be amazed where some teams end up because uh, I genuinely believe this. Um, what I'm going to put at number 18, or uh, number 18 now, is going to be <laughs> very unfortunately, and, I, and I'm only putting them here this temporarily because I'm not sure where else they're going to go, but the Hangzhou Spark are going to go at number 18. And I think, I don't think this is a reflection of their skill. I just cannot put them any higher because of all the roster troubles they've had and of just some of the games that they've lost that they should not have lost. Not being able to play in the Melee tournament really did kind of kill your chances at getting much higher in my tier list for this week. I do believe that once they start rolling with their new squad, when Architect finally makes his debut and just shows the world what he can do with the squad, then yes, they're going to jump up another 5-10 places, you know, within 5-10 to 10 places, uh, easily. But I can't say they're a stronger team when they can't even field a roster to play in the May Melee tournament. This is not a permanent position for them, but this is where I believe they deserve. Note that that means I still put them above two teams that did have a roster to field for the May Melee tournament. And how sad is that? <laughs> now, number 17... This one is really hard for me to, to, to put here. Because I really don't want to put them here. But... Because I, I, I've never really liked this team. I thought this team has always been not the greatest. I think they've been overhyped. They have had success in previous seasons. But I just have not be, been made a believer of them yet. Even if, with a strong May Melee performance. Uh, number 17 is going to go to the London Spitfire. I think the London Spitfire has a lot of potential. Uh, I think that they are definitely a team that if these individual players can somehow make the, their shtick work within the team, they can rise through the Apex region and maybe get into the top four, top four, four of their region. I just don't see it now. It just has not been very evident to me. And I think against better teams like Shanghai, like New York, uh, heck, even teams like the Shengdu Hunters, I think, have a much more, a much bigger upside at the moment than they do. So, <laughs> number 17, that goes to the London Spitfire. Which means, music, that number 16, four spots from the 20th position, is where I put the Boston Uprising. The Boston, the Boston Uprising, I, I do sincerely believe, are better than the uh, than the Toronto Defiant right now, and the uh, Vancouver Titans. I think those are very obvious ones that they will show by playing in the same region. However, I do not believe that the other the two Apex teams I just named, the uh, Hangzhou Spark and the London Spitfire, I don't think they could actually really take on Boston either. I think Boston would have a much closer games with those two Apex teams. 
But I believe with the power of their top players, I think with Jerry, with Punk, even Fusions, honestly, um, really outdo their equivalents on the London Spitfire and uh, until we see Architect on the uh, Hangzhou Spark. I do believe that this is probably the highest Boston will ever get for me because I think the Apex teams are going to blow them out of the water um, if they don't continue their upswing, their upbuilding of momentum. Uh, however, I think that they've earned this with such a strong uh, performance in the May Melee tournament because they did take the Paris Eternal to a map 5. And that is, again, for a team as good as the Paris Eternal, that is impressive. Now, that being said, number 15 on my list is going to be a little more straightforward. 15 on my list is going to be the Washington Justice. This is another example of a lot of potential with those new roster pickups, just not having it as a team yet. I do think that they are going to have a lot of upside. Definitely more than the teams below them. Probably enough to maybe even hit 12 at some point this season, but I don't see them being any higher right now. After that, we've got the Houston Outlaws, number 14. Even with the main tank issue that they've been having, I still believe that the individual talent uh, on this roster is very, very strong. I believe Rockus is still a top support player in the world, despite everyone always ragging on him for it. Uh, I believe that Linkser, Dante, uh, I think a lot of the DPS uh, selections you could have on the Houston Outlaws are very flexible and definitely thrive in the hero pool world that they're still doing that the uh, Overwatch League is still doing. Uh, very much, I think, the Houston Outlaws deserve this spot and can go higher uh, if, you know, they really figure out this main tank situation. Any comments, questions, or concerns at this point, Music? Well, definitely a bit of cha changes since uh, A last time and B with what I have in, it, in mind. That, that was number 16 that you or no number 14 13, 14 14 okay so you are on there no, 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 yes no, no, 13 because um, if i could go over um my power rankings up until the you know the 14 um similar to you i have vancouver and the uh, number 20 spot however i kept boston in the number 19 spot mainly because mainly because i still have a lot of faith in the and the other China, the Chinese team that holds the spots above, above them, like I do think that they can take out Boston no problem despite all of their individual issues, so so to speak. Like for example, the number 18 for me is similar to yours, the Hangzhou Spark. Really? And, huh. Yeah, yeah, but even then the reason why I put them above Boston is because I still think that they have the raw talent despite the roster issues. Granted, at the end of the day, Overwatch is a team-based game, so I might be wrong there. We'll find out more this week, you know, this weekend. And I will admit that Boston did look a whole lot better in the May May tournament up against Paris. So that would have been enough to justify them. But at the same time, we're kind of combining these re this, these regions together, so it's, it's still very difficult to do that. Like maybe for next week. I don't know if I do, but I'll probably, like, split. I'm down with doing that. Regions. I'm down with doing that. I'm just giving, since this is my first one, I'm yeah. trying to give my opinions of the whole league as a whole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then from there, the number 17, uh, 
is uh, Soul Dynasty, which I actually moved up from the 18th spot last no last time we did the power rankings, because as impressive as it is that they're the runner-ups of the Asian region for the main major the tournament, major point deductions for getting reverse sweat. No team should be able to get reverse sweat. It, despite our team in particular having that happen to us twice already. But, um, yeah, no, it's A, demoralizing, and B, if you get reverse webbed, I feel like just something happened that made it look like your team was throwing. Because to me, it's one of those how can you look so dominant at the start of a match or at the start of a series only to lose the remainder of the series of the series and lose on the last map the last opportunity for you for you to redeem yourself that to me just took off a lot of points as does reverse sweeping in general no it does but moving on up next in the 16th for me I actually have to shank shank do hunters and it's more because of their uh, niche playstyle so to speak so to speak like all the players on shank do are really good really extraordinary but I feel like they're just still way too niche of a place of a play style for them to be flexible to go any higher. London, I put at number 15, simply because I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. They still have a lot of raw talent despite being an entire roster from the tier two no team, except for one play, no player who isn't even playing. But still, no, but still, everybody has bad tur no tournaments. I won't hold it that much against them. This weekend might prove me wrong, but it's almost expected. And for my number 14, that's where I have to use it out, the Outlaws, because of the main tank issues. <laughs> and you know, that's fair. Uh, and again, we have, uh, this is going to be a longer episode here. We're going to try to get through this a little bit more. But now that puts me on number 13. And you know what? There's actually going to be two Apex teams in a row here. Uh, at number 13, uh, the Soul Dynasty are going to actually mark their home here. Again, they have impressed a little bit lately. I have to give the devil to do. I do not believe that they are uh, in the top three of their division, nor do I think they deserve to be in the top 12 of the Overwatch League. Uh, but they are if, if they are there. They have talent. They have the ability. Just if they can make it come together, maybe they can get a little bit higher. I am not very optimistic about that, though. And actually, who I'm putting above them at number 12 is the Shangdu Hunters, who, despite having one of the currently worst records in the Overwatch League right now, they also do have some of the more impressive wins, uh, taking out the New York XL and Shanghai Dragons, arguably the top two of their division, as well as the, Guang, uh, the uh, Guangzhou Charge, so the top three of their division. They have the talent, they have the ability, they just need to figure out with Hero Bands how they can really take advantage of what they have. So, very much a team that I think could get higher than here, could be higher than 12, um, if they really figure themselves out, but I think this is about where they go, and I love this team. I think this team is absolutely incredible, but uh, they kind of got to figure some stuff out if they really, really want to be any better. And that means that number 11 is where we are now. And number 11 is where I'm actually going to put the... I think I'm going to put the Los Angeles Gladiators right here. I think this is where uh, you really start to see, like, in the 11 and up seed. All of these teams, the differences between these teams, like the team right next to them, right above or below them, is so minimal. 
I think any team from 11 to 1 in this power ranking could beat each other. I think they all could more or less easily beat, or at least have a more dominant decision against anyone lower than them at this point. But I think every team from here on up does uh, have the opportunity, or d does have the very likely chance of beating the teams in their in this division here. Gladiators are the weakest of the great teams because they have been one of the more inconsistent. Their highs have been very, very high. Their lows have been really, really low. So the Gladiators could, again, get themselves higher if they work out some of their tempo issues. Um, it's just they need to work out those issues because you can't play dummy aggressive and expect not to get punished from it from teams like the Atlanta Reign, the... Uh, Los Angeles Valiants, the Paris Eternal, the Florida Mayhem, teams that are much more patient and much uh, just more well-rounded in this general field of the Overwatch League. That means that number 10, the top 10 of the league, I think number 10 is going to be the Los Angeles Valiant. I think they are the epitome of a success because no one expected them to do as well as they are with the minimum... Uh, hype roster that they started with uh, the signings were all almost basically unknown players and yet this team has done incredible because of those talents and because of the coaching direction of this team and the Valiant have always been a great team they've always had great um, coaching staffs and players now I think is the time that they can really try to make a push for playoffs because I think with this roster they really do deserve it they really can get to it uh, number nine is going to be the Guangzhou Charge, who I will say is the third best team currently in the uh, in the Apex region. I think they arguably could even make a shot for for two and one uh, just on any different given day. But I do believe that they are kind of suffering from the one trickness of their roster. I don't think they're flexible enough to be any higher. But with what they are really good at, they are really really good at, and especially Nero. Uh, being the most flexible player on this team, can play one of uh, a few different heroes that really suit into the playstyle that this team likes to play. I do think this team is definitely deserving of a playoff spot. And I have them ranked at number 9, you know, just right below that top 8 playoff, um, like automatically getting in. I think they could easily get there if they keep on improving and playing at a high level. But then for me, that also puts the Atlanta Reign at number 8. Again, we're getting to the best teams, so it's going to be really hard to put anyone higher or lower. The Atlanta Reign have one of the best uh, double shield compositions in the league. I thoroughly believe that. As well as having some incredible star DPS players like Edison and Baby Bay. Masa, Fire, Coda. You have so many good players on this team that also already feel like they are a team. They already feel like they do have that synergy together and that they play like a top team. I think they can definitely be and still will remain as a top team as the league goes on. Number seven, that puts us with the... As weird as it's going to be that I'm going to say it this way, number seven is going to be the Florida Mayhem. I think this squad... I've always been a Florida fan, a huge Florida fan from season one even, back with the uh, Tavik Logics uh, roster. And even when they made their uh, questionable decisions last year, uh, they were building towards the roster they have today. I think the biggest uh, kind of saving graces on this team are Yaki, BQB, Bait. Um, really, everyone outside Chris on this team is a star player 
that could be champions on any other team. And Chris, yeah, he can get carried to that level. He's he's not the worst player in the league. Um, with that, in regards to that, though, I do not believe that they are strong enough pound for pound to handle hero bans versus some of these more top-tier teams. I think teams like the Paris Eternal, like the New York XL, uh, San Francisco, um, I think all these teams could definitely have a higher chance of beating them, despite you know their amazing record and performance in the May Melee. It's hard to tell where this team's going to end up. I really do hope for the best, and I think they're definitely a playoff team at this point. It's just going to be um, a little bit of work to, to, to maintain and keep the spot and to move up. Well, like you've been that saying, takes me that to my top five, top I believe, or, 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 or was that seven? It's basically that was negligible seven. on number six for me. In your power range, we'll go to. I believe uh, I'm, I'm really questioning this one for number six. I'm gonna put the. No, I'm gonna commit. I'm gonna say the pair, uh, the uh, New York XL, get number six. Um, with a lot of these, uh, one of the best teams in the world, definitely these top six teams can lay claim to that easily. Uh, and the differences between these are so marginal from six to five to four to three to two to one that any of anyone could win any of these games, and I would not be surprised. I think New York is too big for their britches. I don't think they have a concrete idea of what they want to do at this point anymore. I think their roster is really large and cluttered. And I just think that they lose against some of these smaller and more focused teams. Uh, that being said, they are also flexible to handle almost anything. And with some of the top players in the world, like Sabiolbi, Libero, Jonak, Animo, uh, I think this team does hold a lot. And it's really hard to put them at six because I want to put them higher, uh, even being as critical as I am of them. Music, any, uh, any calling me crazy? Any concerns about any of these ones? for the most part I basically agree with you and I do mean for the most part like if I could just go go over mine real, real quick like for my number 13 I actually put Washington Justice there I put them below Houston the last time around because of the pingages between Sitch and Janu and I do believe that despite you know, despite them and even Fielder like oh my ping bro on, oh my yeah, ping bro yeah they're still really good players but Again, pain does have an effect in playing the game of oh, no Overwatch, whether you want to believe it or no or not. But now that everybody's on the same playing field, I do believe that Washington Justice will basically be one of the better teams. Toronto, I'm actually keeping uh, keeping where they are at the at the number twelve spot because Ooh, that's incredible. Mainly because of their experience, like you said. You no, know, like you said, like with Toronto, a lot of my a lot of my reasoning actually stems from. What you've been saying, like agility is being underrated now that they have a new tank player in the line, in the lineup and Numblog, and they have Cruz who's been looking better in the Toronto line, no, lineup. Like he still feeds, but he looks better. <laughs> but no, but um, yeah, no, but yeah, no. I I think that that's enough to keep Toronto where he is, or where he is, where they are. However, no, nah, however, um, there's if any team is going to prove me wrong for this one it's going to be Washington up against the LA Valiants which is where I actually put them is where actually I put at number 11 the LA Valiants and the main reason for this is because when you look at the straight battle between the Valiants and the Gladiators Gladiators are currently with the winning record here 
gladiators are currently the king of Los Angeles. That being said, I do believe that uh, gladiators are better than you're giving them credit for. No, for no, for this case, like my, like they're not top ten for me. That ten goes to Dallas Fuel, which I don't see them moving anytime soon. And again, from top ten on, it really could be anywhere, nowhere. But gladiators for me it, is number nine. So, no, so to speak. And again, it comes down to the individual talent and even even a lot of the creativity that they uh, did. Like, did you expect any other team to pull off Balzaria as uh, Gladiators did in Owl? No, and I mean, and that's an incredible composition that it takes a lot to work with, and they did do it. So, I mean, I give them massive props for that. Yeah, which, which is part of the reason why I put them at uh, in the top in the top ten at the number nine because they do have that creativity. However, like you said, when they go down, they go down hard. So, so yeah, I want them to do better, but nine is the best that I can put, put the gladiators at. My number eight, however, is the Guangzhou Char chart for similar re reasons. Nero being a godlike DPS player, Guangzhou being able to just adapt so easily no matter what the situation calls for and stuff like that. But I don't think that it's enough to put them on the same level as Shanghai, for example. For example, but it's still good enough that they can just beat anybody that's from number nine and below. Um, Flor no, Florida is who I have as my uh, number seven as well. So that's another thing that we kind of agree, no, agree on, and for very similar re no, reasons. Although, don't be ragging on my boy, Chris. Come on, he's a thrower. <laughs> A thrower on the brig. Um, so here's the question. Where did the Dallas Fuel end up for you? Uh, number 10. I thought I made that clear. Yeah, so that's where mine is going to be a little bit weird here. Uh, number 5. Granted, top 5 in the league. How they made it up here is kind of incredible. And the more I kept on looking at this list, I kept thinking, you know, this team deserves to be above them, this team deserves to be above them, this team... With this team, with this number five team, I am going to admit, they I could easily put them four spots lower. I could easily put them three spots lower, two, maybe even one. The reason why they're this high up is just from the performances they've had of late, the roster change with Paintbrush, and just a lot of factors that could really benefit in terms of... Uh, just team cohesion, uh, more practice together as a squad than other teams. I believe that number five for my power rankings for this, for, for as it currently stands, is the Dallas Fuel. Now, results are not going to agree with me here. However, I am going to give a little bit of a benefit here. The Dallas Fuel have played the for, uh, the fourth, no, the uh, are the fifth fewest maps. Of any team in the Overwatch League, they played ten maps, or, or uh, ten games, and to me that is that kind of skewers the way that this team looks because uh, most of their matchups have been against these other top teams. I mean, they've lost against Philly, they've lost against San Francisco, they've lost against Florida, they've lost against Paris, they've lost against Atlanta, but they were not all blowout games and. The fact that they've had such a small amount of playtime compared to other teams that have played 13, 14, 15 games really, to me, says that there is a there is a 
there is a lot that this team can do and that there is a huge amount of potential like this team can get better this team can certainly uh prove if they have more games against more competition that they deserve to be here and i think raw talent they do have that talent team cohesion they do have that uh team cohesion it's just putting it all together they might end up lower in the next few weeks uh depending on how hero bands go and how these matchups against these higher teams do go but i think they very much well deserve to be up in the top seven and five might be a little bit high but that is where i'm putting them here um in my ranking sue me uh number four we'll go to the uh paris eternal one of my favorite teams I, my favorite team uh right now the paris eternal with the uh returns of xe and and the debut of sparkle coming up here soon along with a very strong and powerful roster they are going to be uh a team a force to be reckoned with even if they have already shown that they're the only team to take a win uh off of the top team in the league uh by map or by wins and losses so i do believe that um they deserve this spot here uh number three we'll go to the philadelphia fusion i think a great team with the best record in the league currently um Again, the differences between these teams in this top tier are very marginal. Number two will be the Shanghai Dragons, and number one will be the San Francisco Shock. And for all these reasons, these three teams are so hard to pick. Which is better? Which is the best? Who does the best? Who has the strongest roster? Ultimately, I think San Francisco's performance in the Melee did prove that they deserve it, and Shanghai's also deserved it as well. Um, as we are wrapping up this recording here of Overwatch Now, that is my my top 20 that is my power rankings list music what do you guys say about it before we end the show okay so i need to start from six and then six going upwards so here's the thing for me atlanta takes number six and then six for me but that is also but that again is very uh marginal between between them and and florida i do think that atlanta does have the uh better cohesion the better play players which puts them at the number six i'm keeping Paris at number five at number five not because of anything that they did but more because i firmly believe that the new york excel had a bad may melee tournament it happens to the best of us but but um if new york does end up going on a downhill and say ends up winning for example for example going three two against soul or even losing to soul by any margin then that would be reason enough for me to put Paris at, uh, at number four. But until I see that ha happening, Paris and New York are kind of like neck and neck with each other. The, my top three, like, like yours, are Philadelphia, San Francisco, and, and Shanghai. I'm not even going to say in no particular order because I do believe that all three of them hold the number one ranking. Like, between the three of them... It's like, it's very, like you said, it's very difficult to, it's very difficult to place any of them because all of them has had standout performances. Shanghai reverse leaping soul at the finals of the May, May, uh, Melee tur in the Tournament. Philadelphia losing only once to the team that they end up beating in the May, May Tournament. Uh, or, no, not even that. No, not even that. But still, only losing once during the regular se season. No other team has 
that has had that ha happen yet. And San Francisco winning the me melee tur no, tournament for the NA region? All of those are proof that any of those three teams can be top, no, top teams. And that there really is no way to differentiate between all of them, no, really. So... It's yeah. so close. It's so close. And we will learn a little bit more this weekend seeing these teams play if they definitively defend their spots or if maybe they're a little less strong than we think they are. I doubt it, but this has been another edition of Overwatch Now, a nearly two-hour episode returning with a lot of these news and highlights. Um, music, I'm going to let you end us out here, but before I do, I'd like to thank uh, Dude Media for uh, sponsoring our show and uh, like to promote Breaking the Lore, another show here on Dude Media's network. Uh, music, why don't you sign us out? I wanted to thank Dude's Media Network. But you can no, thank really. him too. Double thanks. <laughs> okay, yeah, super huge shout out to Dude's Media Network for hosting us and breaking the lore. Thank you to everybody who's been tuning in to listen week after week. We will get that week eight episode up as quickly as we can. And if it doesn't come up soon, well, blame Dylan. He's actually the, edi the editor for that. Absolutely. This episode as I edit this episode. And yeah, be sure to tune in next week for some more news, some more patch notes, some more competitive Overwatch. And yeah, just, just to stay tuned in for your Overwatch right now. Have a good night, everybody. So long.